Leanne from the Alberta Motorcycle Safety Society, and welcome to Think Bike, a podcast about all things motorcycle and the voice of motorcycle safety and awareness in Alberta. We like to talk about everything motorcycle related and bring you great guests to share their stories. Thank you for tuning in. On this week's episode, we have a longtime friend of me, of mine, sorry, joining us for surprisingly the first time. It took three, almost full three seasons to get uh, my good friend, Mike Yakimishan on the show. Welcome, my thank friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we have known each other. God, it's been a long time. Mm, 15, maybe. I think 15 I years. Think so. We're getting close. Getting close yeah. to that. In and around there. Yep. Yeah. And because of motorcycles. So that was all because of motorcycles. <laughs> I'll specifically triumphs, but we won't be biased today because you aren't and neither am I. No, I may be anymore. I may be in my purchasing, but I'm not in the <laughs> trying other people's bikes out type of and thing. I, and I'm definitely not in my purchasing. I'm all over the place. So Yeah. I noticed you have like a you had a cruiser in your garage and that kind of threw me for a little bit of a loop. First time. <laughs> maybe ever that I've had a true beggar in my garage, which is, uh, yeah, get, something to get used to. It's not, uh, not normal for me, but it's also as a, a beggar of opportunity. So that's why it's in the garage today. Well, and, and we'll get into that a, quite later, um, in our conversation about your, uh, love of builds, but let's, um, let's start with you as a human. What got you into riding? You know, I've been writing for so long. And, and when you sent a list of questions that you were going to talk about discussion points, I was, this is probably the one that I uh, stumbled the most on was like, what, did, what actually was the key thing that got me into writing? And I can't really, I can't really think of anything specific, but I'll tell you where it sort of started. And um, uh, my dad was a, you know, casual rider. I grew up in the mountains of British Columbia. So we always had a enduro dual sport of some sort so a lot of it started with being on the back of my dad's yamaha xt 200 uh for lots of jaunts up into the bush and and logging roads and stuff and then um when i was eight we went to uh, an auction and it's an auction penticton that happened all the time it was usually like an antique auction and sort of estate auctions and stuff and always had lots of junk but my parents frequented this auction on every i guess it would be like a thursday night i think and so uh, i was about eight years old and um and we were looking through the auction junk during the day and there was this red 1980 honda cr80 motorcycle dirt bike pure dirt bike and i just as a kid, I just remember seeing the lines of that bike and it was red and knobby tires and white fenders. And it was just this amazing bike. And uh, that kind of like was, I thought, whoa, they make them small enough that I could ride them. And this would be, I was eight, so I'm 47 now. So that was quite a long time ago. You just dated us. <laughs> That's fine. That's okay. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of that. <laughs> you can't have experience without age. So that's all right. So um, and a funny thing, I was talking to my dad about this. Uh, I went back home last two weeks ago and I was with my dad. I'm like, dad. And, and I just sort of asked him about the auction because I was so young that I remember the bike. I remember the bidding going on. And I remember that somebody won the bike and I looked at my dad and I was like, oh, somebody got something pretty cool. And then my dad held up the paddle and it was his number. 
So I didn't know. And then for the life of me, I couldn't remember the number of the paddle. So the paddle number was 65. My dad remembers to this day. And I remember he paid $25 for that bike. $25 oh at auction. And I don't know for, I mean, I know the people who listen to the podcast are all pretty much bike centric people. So they, they probably know, but those Honda CRs, whether it was an 80, a 125, a 200, a 250, they were all Honda's race bikes. So here was an eight-year-old who had never ridden a motorcycle other than being on the back, getting onto this uh, little CR80 that when it two-stroke bike. So when it, when it went on to the pipe, the thing just went bananas. And I don't think for two years I ever got it out of second gear because it would just scare the hell out of me. So that's kind of where everything started. And then, uh, yeah, so then I rode that bike for years and just tooted around, blowing smoke, and it was just the, it was like at eight years old, you experienced what every rider sort of is looking for, and that's that total freedom. So at eight, when we'd go camping, you know, now there was my dad's XT200 and my CR80 sitting in the back of the trailer, and we'd go up camping in the bush, and then we'd pull the bikes out, and they just didn't care where I was. They, I could just put my helmet on and kickstart my bike and go take off and be out in the bush and have fun and have this total sense of freedom. And I think that once we taste that freedom, you know, there's a little philosophy here. I think we spend the rest of our lives chasing it because we can never be eight on our first bike ever again. But yet every time we, you know, throw our helmets on and throw a leg over the bike and we hit the starter, it brings back all of that sort of, emotion that came along is when you first started riding and and you know this morning i went for a ride before our podcast and it was just you know one of those sunday mornings where it's beautiful outside it was 18 degrees out and you just felt like you're that eight-year-old kid on a cr80 again so it was just something that uh yeah it just kind of gets in your blood and most of us who know you either try it once and hate it or try it once and love it and there's no in between yeah, no, that's for sure. Cause I was like, I remember being on my uncle's farm when I was really little and he had one of those, I would, I think it's one of those little Honda fifties with the big yes. fat tire yeah, and just yeah. to- tootling around on the farm and uh, just like, I don't know, it just, it took at such a young age, but it took so long for me to get there for myself. And like you, who was like, you know, you had a father who fostered that in you and what great memories. Like, well, and I remember when we came home from the auction and my dad told my mom, she was livid. She was livid that I was going to be on a motorcycle. And, and, you know, it's just one of those, I don't think she spoke to him for a week. And yet <laughs> here I was, and it's been a lifetime thing. You know, I don't, there was only one very short period of time in my life where I didn't have a bike. And that was when my kids were all really, really, really little. And even that period didn't last very long. It was a couple of years, but uh, you know, here we are probably, I don't know, 45, 50 motorcycles later. And I can't tell you how many kilometers, hundreds of thousands of kilometers. And uh, yeah, I still ride just about every day. Well, and you're, you are one of my favorite people to ride with. I know we've, we've done like a trek Lots. out to BC. You were the Many. person who took me to the raid for the first time, yes. which yep. is an event that I've been running for 10 years now. Yep. And it was you, me and our friend, Robbie and uh, Robbie McHenry. Uh, yep. yep. And, uh, the three of us riding together, like that is a trip that stays in my brain for forever. It was such a smooth ride out and ride back. Yeah. I mean, and it's, you know, there's all sorts of, even within our community of, of riders, there's all sorts of different people within that community. But 
you know, I always say that it's the one community that has brought the best people into my life. Everybody who is a close friend of mine today, someone that I call a brother or a sister or, you know, someone that you tell them you love on a regular basis has come into my life because of motorcycles. And, you know, when I'm in the music community, I'm in, um, I'm in the automotive industry very much. And I'm sure those communities have aspects of that too. But in particular in my life, you know, the people who ride or riding has brought people into my life that have been, you know, part of my life for many, 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 many years. So it's, it's the riding side of things as much as it gives us so much other benefits to mental health and all the rest of it. It's also brought, uh, you know, lifelong friendships like yourself in, into my life. And it's, uh, yeah, super important, super important. Yeah. Like life-changing friendships for yeah. the better. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned the raid, you know, I'd been going to the raid for a couple of years before that I dragged you out there and then look what happened with the raid. It's become such a massive part of your life. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just very cool. Yeah. Very, thanks very cool. for that. <laughs> well, Hey, you can get out whenever you want. No, one's no, I can't. I apparently can't. No one wants to take it over, but, uh, <laughs> actually there is interest now, but that's for another year. Um, Let's get into like you, you said hundreds of thousands of, of miles that you put yeah. on. And, and yeah. I, I know you well enough to know that that is not at all a figment of your imagination. You ride no. all the time. Yeah. You cannot get you off a bike. Where are some of your most favorite places to go? Well, outside I, of BC. Cause well, I know, I know. I mean, it really, it really <laughs> depends on, it really depends on, what you're looking for. Right. And, um, you know, there's been, if I just want to go on a quick adventure, I've got four or five days or sometimes even less, but I, but I just want to go on a quick adventure. Then yeah, I'll turn the wheels to BC and I'll, and I'll roar into BC. Um, but there are many, many, many times in my life where I've just, you know, booked, uh, five to, I mean, as long as my longest one was, I think 10 days, but 10 days, and uh i just threw the grass up in the air and whatever way the wind blew the grass is where i started and i have to say probably like some of my most favorite quick rides are in and around strathcona lamont uh counties it's just beautiful country up there if you follow the river you just see you just see like where alberta started and just some of the most beautiful farmsteads and homesteads and and you can get out and if you don't mind a little bit of gravel and i've done i I love riding gravel so if you take out on some of the gravel you just see some areas that uh you know between harvest between growth between planting between autumn between spring you just see the whole world around you change and just shows you that okay maybe the riding isn't as you know super demanding as doing uh, you know, three going over the Salmo Creston or, or doing the uh, Crawford Bay or something. Maybe the riding isn't that demanding, but the, just the absolute beauty just makes up for, makes up for all of it. And it's so gorgeous. Um, if I'm going to spend a little more time and I got some time, I like to head to Montana. I think Montana is just a really special area. And uh, as you cross over the Rockies in Montana and get into Northern Idaho, Northern Idaho is spectacular. Uh, Northern Washington is spectacular in between Coeur d'Alene and Seattle are some of the most incredible vistas and, and areas. Um, you know, you always got to get prepared for heat, but I've had some of the most amazing adventures through that area. But um, yeah, I mean, 
being us where, where we're located, we always have to go somewhere to get somewhere. Um, but if you even got a couple of hours and you do the, do the ride out to Nordeg or something and, and spend a day and you leave early in the morning and, and do the ride to the foothills into Nordeg and spend a couple bucks at a local establishment that desperately needs your couple of bucks for a piece of pie and a coffee and then do the ride back. Like it's just super days. Yeah. It's beautiful. We live in an absolutely stunning province where you can go from canola blooms to mountain lions and Kodiak bears within, you know, four hours. It's, it's, it, we're really blessed out here. It's amazing. Elk Island is another one of your favorite areas to ride around or yeah, was at one point. I, I do go out that area quite a ways because, um, it's not, it's not massively far from my house. So you can quite easily go and spend, uh, it's easy to go through Elk Island and then just head North of Elk Island. And you go up into a lot of little towns and, um, that are up sort of North of there and then head towards, and I just keep heading East a little bit. And there's uh, lots of little towns out there, lots of little vistas, lots of areas. Uh, again, you know, I truly try to make a point of my rides that when I'm, when I'm out, is that I make sure I have lunch at some mom and pa place and get gas at a mom and pa place because uh, a lot of these places, it's folks like us that actually keep them open and around. Like if you go to Chipman, you stop at the marketplace and have an ice cream because that's usually a good place for most motorcyclists stop and and just try and make a point of um, if you're going to go and spend a little bit of money, spend it with some people that truly, truly, truly welcome you spending a couple bucks there and and it keeps their doors open. And yeah, so no, there's lots of rural Alberta is a beautiful place to ride. It's, it's not demanding. It's not, you know, you don't need to have a super high skill set uh, to ride this stuff. But when you're out there, it's just a great place to be. It's a beautiful country. Well, and I appreciate as someone who is born and raised in Saskatchewan that you talk about the beauty of what the like the more prairie um, land around yeah. in Alberta is like, because yeah. a lot of people are like, Oh, it's just straight flat roads. And if that's the way you look at it, that's all you're going to see. For sure. Yeah. And really then what's the point? What is, you have to look at then again too, is like, what's the actual point of your ride? Is it to go out and challenge yourself and hit the corners and everything else? Well, okay. But then maybe you should be hitting track days for that. We have two great tracks that have amazing track days, but if it's to go out and for me riding, a lot of it is, you know, I do a lot of photography. So usually there's a camera with me, but a lot of it's really about just therapy and, and being in your own head and, and being okay with being in your own head. And, you know, any of us who put a lot of miles on in a day, we also know that there's a, there's a challenge in just that there's a challenge to just sit and be with yourself and to have all the elements on you, to be braving wind, to feel the heat, to start off in your cold and to be midday and you're broiling hot. And then, you know, I'm six foot three, so no bike is ever perfect for me. So to deal with the muscle cramps that come or the sore backs, and you think people may say, well, that sounds miserable, but it's actually not. You're, you're fighting yourself, but you're also pushing yourself, those small pains, those small uncomfortables, you know, this is a whole, maybe we should do a, a whole section on the philosophy of writing, but, <laughs> but, but it actually forces you to, to find Zen moments, right? It forces you to separate your brain from your body a little bit. And when you can do that, you can start to really enjoy what's, what is being thrown at you, um, when you're out there riding and, and it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a self-discipline and, and it's, it's perfect. It's perfect. 
And, and I understand that because my most recent trip down to Montana, I got to ride one of my girlfriend's Indian FTR 1200s, which, Fabulous. oh my Fabulous God, bike. oh yeah. my yeah. God. Yeah. But as you know, um, towards the end of me riding my Daytona 955i, I was yep. starting to cramp up a lot in my one leg and it caused me pain. Now the Indian was... A fairly similar rear set, yep. not as much, but enough that that pain came back. And yep. yeah, I, I got myself out of my head because I was given an opportunity to ride this amazing motorcycle yep. that I've salivated over since I came out with it. And somehow got my way through this entire day of, of riding around all these different lake areas in, in Montana. And it was it was such a great experience. And then I put heat strips on my leg when I got back. Yeah. Yeah. It may sound miserable, but it was one of the best days I've had. So it's it's the same as tattoos. People go get tattoos and they go, Oh my God, it's so painful and miserable. But yet six months later, a year later, you're in there getting another tattoo. (laughs) We have have problems, right? It's, it's the same sort of, it's the same sort of, um, mental process of separating yourself from being uncomfortable and the second that you actually are able to do that you end up finding that you have some of the best rides of your life like those times and and i mean you and i've ridden probably tens of thousands of kilometers through bc together in july when it's 42 degrees outside and you're sweating through your leathers and everything else but yet there's these you know, magical moments where you're where you're climbing a, a big hill and you see five or six of us you know, all in a lean and you can hear the, just the majesty and the harmonies of everybody's exhaust. And all of a sudden it doesn't matter that it's 40 degrees anymore. You're looking at this picture that you'll never, ever forget of five or six Bonnevilles in our case at that time, all over in full leans with predator pipes and knees on the ground. And we're climbing up these hills doing a hundred and well, legal speeds and (laughs) potentially (laughs) we're pushing ourselves. I mean, this is a safety podcast i guess right so we have to be careful maybe possibly but (laughs) (laughs) but just just enjoying those moments and those are the pieces that um that you just don't forget and they come back and they stick with you and it's magic i mean that's what we do we search for magic yeah absolutely i I love how you frame that and you mentioned a little bit about like you do a lot of photography and and man you take some amazing photos that prompted a whole ghost ride thing or vice versa um you had a website going for a bit is that still up and running it's it's still up we haven't done any updates in a long long time um Unfortunately, like most great things, they sometimes run into legal issues and run into privacy issues. So, so the pictures I take now are more for myself. Um, but yeah, the, the ghost ride piece all stemmed from uh, uh, my friend James, who's a very close friend and a person I put many, many miles on together. We we had this, uh, and we still do. We just we love vintage bikes. Um, you know we talked at the beginning of me having a bagger for the first time, but I still have two vintage bikes in the, in the garage. I think the only thing that's not there now is a sport bike. And generally I do have a sport bike in the garage. At this point I don't, but it was about uh, getting on these vintage bikes and spending days where you were just exploring the countryside. And, and especially here in Alberta, 
uh, also a lot in Saskatchewan, is that you have original homesteads and farmsteads that are 150 years old, 200 years old, and maybe not 200, well, close, I guess 1805 is when, yeah, so you, you still have these original homesteads that are laying abandoned and falling and, and being reclaimed by the earth sitting on these farms. So they're naturally quite beautiful. And, and there's a real, there's a real uh, historical sentiment that goes along and, and, a, and, a, and sort of a longing for the past when you see these things. So, so we started really photographing these pieces and photographing these homesteads because um, we found that every time we would go out, another one would be torn down and another one would be torn down and another one would be torn down and they were starting to be disappearing. And some of the farmers and, you know, this is, there's no judgment here. It's just, just a statement of fact that some of these houses, when they get abandoned, you know, the, the, the farmers would just burn them and then uh, let them burn to the ground. And then they would, uh, you know, seed that area or replant that area. So we noticed that each year we would go out and ride a lot of these old beautiful homesteads uh, were disappearing and there's just so much historical each one of those farmsteads has a story has a story about a family that crossed who knows what to get to alberta to get to canada to get who knows right there's there's a story so yeah the ghost rides became old vintage bikes searching out the past and, um, you know, we have thousands of photographs between the two of us of these homesteads um, across across Alberta, more specifically than anything. But a lot of our rides would, uh, were there just to be specifically to go and find, find these homesteads and photograph them before they disappeared forever. So very cool. Very, very cool. Yeah, it was a it was a nice project, and I, 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 you know, every once in a while, I'd sit there and I'm, I'd look at these photos on the website or or your posts that you made on social media, and I'm like, I, I always wondered about the, you know, the quote unquote trespassing aspect of it. Well, um, but I mean, it is what it is, and you'll follow whatever direction you're given. I mean, and not. Yes. So if 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 things were blatantly posted as no trespassing we wouldn't trespass yeah you know you'd, you'd use a telephoto lens and you'd shoot from the road um, if there was no signs we might have wandered a little bit might have wandered um but honestly you know two bikers out in the middle of the countryside we've been chased we've been shot at we've been uh all sorts of things so it was it was sort of just time to maybe not publish this sort of stuff because I think people felt that sometimes it was an invasion of privacy, despite, despite the real uh, good intention of just trying to preserve, preserve what's out there in the countryside. Yeah. And I believe that's what the intention was, was yeah. like, you you just, you have an eye and, and just the person that you are, it was never yeah. to bring uh, any type of harm. So let's, yeah. let's switch gears a little bit. Sure. We've had lots of stories over the years and um, one of my favorites and, and I really, I hope you share this with us. It's like a, a safety hazard story that you had from, from one of your rides that involves rodents. Oh, that was actually not a ride story. That was in, that was coming home. I was in my truck. I wasn't actually. Oh, you were uh, in your truck. Yeah, well, okay. But if, could you imagine if you were on a motorcycle? Oh, I mean, and if you want to actually, it's very easy to correlate the two for sure. So yeah, I mean, I mean, you were in your truck and we'll preface it with that. But if you're in your motorcycle, I'm thinking this was going to go sideways a hell of a lot faster. Well, if I was on my motorcycle and this was a road that I read that I 
a road that I rode. Isn't it funny? A road, road, and road. <laughs> a road that I rode many, many, many times. And uh, yeah, so so as a as a kid, when I was a kid, I guess I was in my late teens. After after high school, I was doing my apprenticeship um, as a heavy duty mechanic for two years at a gold mine um, up above the town of Penticton. So behind the Apex Mountain Ski Hill. So I was coming home on Green Mountain Road, which is the road you have to take, and it's an absolutely stunning, beautiful drive or ride, however you want to do it. And I had an old Chevy square body pickup that I needed a four wheel drive truck to get into the mine site during the winter. So anyways, I was coming home and I was going around a corner and there was, it was hot, man, it was hot. It was just one of those Okanagan days. That's like 40 plus degrees. And on this one corner, after you get past the ranch there, there was this huge, huge spruce tree that sort of covers the road and casts this huge shadow across the road. And seeking sanctuary from the, <laughs> from the heat <laughs> was, I, I don't know how many, hundreds of gophers or small rodents. And I came through there had probably had my Pearl Jam tape playing. I don't know, it was the 90s, so it was Pearl Jam or Nirvana or something playing in the truck. And I went through this shade and I couldn't, it felt like I had gone across an oil slick. It was, I thought there was something wrong with my truck. So I went on the other side of the big shade. I pulled over as fast as I could and I look around the truck and there's nothing wrong with the truck. And then I'm thinking, what, what, like, what the hell? So I, so I walked back to this shade and it was carnage. It was carnage. There was bodies everywhere. There was other gophers who were like the parents and the fathers and the daughters of the dead gophers weeping beside their kin. It was like, it was like saving private Ryan's final scene, but under a, <laughs> under a spruce tree with, with rodents it was absolutely horrible and horrifying that there was just this tragic mess of greasy dead gophers so i guess if you want to correlate that into motorcycling is that had i been on my back then i had a i had a 1986 suzuki intruder and had i been on that intruder and gone through that i would have been in the rhubarb like it would have been a bad <laughs> bad day even worse for me than it was the gophers who tragically wiped out a colony under my <laughs> pickup truck tires but it was it was bad so i guess you know if you want to correlate that to a safety moment is just man you can never not don't ever not pay attention to the road because you just don't know what's on it <laughs> it was bad <laughs> did you just not did you just not see them all like you couldn't half it was, bathing half like reprieve from the from the sun and the shade. I don't know it was just a dark shade and it was like they were all brown and they just kind of ninjaed into the <laughs> pavement <laughs> it was very difficult to see and like I said I had probably had Pearl Jam playing or something you know 10 was probably playing and I just didn't see them yeah it was it was a tragedy. It was a tragedy. I think there's a memorial there. I think there's a whole bunch of little gopher crosses along the ditches down there now. I just, it was not good. What? Okay. If, sorry. Is there like the first time you told me that story? Like I was like laughing equally as hard. Like I'm crying right now. Um, is there anything that you could have done? Like, had you been on your motorcycle? Oh, like, I mean, I go around these corners now and I'm like, is there going to be a sea of gophers ready to take me out? <laughs> you know, I think, you know, is there anything you could have done? Pro probably not. But, you know, as riders, 
our natural instinct when we is is to is to break right is to break so because this was in a corner it would have been the same as if you had kind of hit a patch of gravel and and everybody's natural instinct is to oh my god i need to break and stop the speed i need to, s- to stop the bike unfortunately with bikes that are 100 based on gyroscopes the second you head hit your brakes it does the exact opposite of what you want it to do and if you're going fast enough and you hit your brakes the bike's going to stand up and you're going to go you won't go around the corner you'll end up going right into a ditch or into a fence post or into a forest or into any other sort of nasty um whereas if you actually just keep your hands off the brakes you know trust in your tires modern tires are brilliant 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 pieces of equipment they stick they stick in a lot of circumstances maybe not on gophers maybe not on gophers but even the worst case what would have happened is, is you would have slid into something that it did stick on right so it's it's about controlling your panic when you're on a bike and controlling that fear and controlling that instinct of wanting to slow the bike down because that's not what's going to actually help you what's going to help you is getting your suspension to settle tight against the tire and the suspension pushing the tire into the ground so that's what's going to help you and the only way to do that is to use gravity as you're going around that corner and it just means lean lean harder and yes you're going to have scraping pegs and everything else and you have to be careful that once you get onto those pegs that you don't you don't actually relieve your suspension by by tilting onto the peg but you really want to get that suspension to settle. If anything, you'd use a little bit of trail braking and, and you would, you know, tap your rear brake to trail brake and that keeps your rear end in control. So that if it does actually start to slide out, you're slowing the, you're slowing the wheel speed, but you're not actually slowing the compression of the suspension. So, so yeah, on a bike, much different, but it's all about trusting your tires and finding, finding pavement. Carrying, carrying a change of underwear. Yeah. And then afterwards you get off your bike, cry, you know, say a prayer, whatever it is afterwards, change your underwear, but, uh, it's just getting through that moment. And it's, and it's actually your worst enemy in that moment is you. Um, one last, one last question. Then I think I'm going to ask you to like hang tight and maybe have you back for next weekend. Is there any specific hard lesson that you've learned in your many, many years of riding since we're dating ourselves yeah. that stands out to you that you would like to pass on? Cause you haven't really had significant crashes. No, never knock on wood. I, I never really have. I've had, yeah. I've had one, one, uh, slow, slow speed accident. Um, but never anything, you know, knock on wood. I've uh, in my, in my 39 years of riding, no, I've never had any major accidents. So that's, that's been a, a blessing and, and, you know, but I take my riding really seriously, you know, yeah, it, like it's, it, let's do that instead. Like, what is it about you that has made you get through? Cause I've ridden with you. I know you can push yourself. I know you like to challenge corners in BC. Yeah, like I understand sure. this about for you. Sure. So how is it that you have escaped any serious issues i mean we've come up on subarus that have done three-point turns in the middle of nowhere you know things like that i think i think the longer you do this the more you start to just listen to your gut you know experience only comes from time and from um things happening right and so you know, for, for example, I, I don't ride a ton in the city anymore. The city is a bad place to ride. I, I, it's just a bad place to ride between 
multiple reasons, but other drivers just, it's just a bad place. But I was commuting one time home on my Bonneville and I had come, I was on the yellow head and I'd come up to the light and it was red light. So I stopped, stopped. I gave myself lots of room. So that's one of the things, just always give yourself room in the back of my mind. Like I just had this, I just had this like crazy feeling to get out of the way. So, you know, lane splitting is not legal. So I didn't lane split, but I popped, I popped to the far left of my lane and then up beside the car beside me. And just as I did that, the person who was behind me came screaming full lock brake and smoked the car that, that was ahead of me. And it was just that something in my mind and my gut said, get out of the way. And I, I just did. So, you know, had I still been in between there, I, I, probably wouldn't be talking to you today. Like this person buried their front end into about the back seat of the car ahead of them. And I was off to the side and no issue. Um, I think it's really just about, it's listening to your gut, you know, it's listening to your gut. It's about controlling panic, controlling panic. And if there's some, you know, when you, when you, you said I push myself in corners and you know how I ride and I push bikes and, a lot of that though is still using um it's it's just using some of the basic skills that you learn quite often in in your safety course which i actually i've never done but i know that what they teach them in um, i've done a lot of track days I've, I've made my mistakes on the track and not on the road um i make sure that when i kit out my bike i kit it out with the best stuff i can afford like don't ever skimp on tires don't skimp on brakes um, you know, basic stuff like that, you know, when, when you're, when you're riding some of the lessons, uh, when you're riding in the corners, scrub off all your speed before you hit the corner. Even if that means you're almost at a dead stop before you go into the corner, because you scrubbed up all your speed. The next time you do that corner, you know, that you can scrub off 60% less speed next time, 40% less speed, but it's about, you know, we can't take our car brain and, and get onto a motorcycle because our car brain says, well, I don't scrub off speed at all. I just go around the corner and away I go. Or, or, or if the corner says it's 60, I know in my car I can do it at 70. So I go, but we're talking about, you know, being able to take track corners that would maybe be 60 kilometers an hour and doing it 120 and doing it safely. And a lot of that comes from just knowing your entry speed, understanding your bike, understanding how your bike settles when it goes into corners. So everybody's bike is going to set a little different, uh, making sure you set up your suspension rate. If you're going to go out and do a hard ride in BC and, and we're going out to a track day or doing any of these types of things that where you're going to push your bike a little bit, make sure you're setting it up, set, know how to set it up, read a book, watch a YouTube video, do something that allows you to understand the dynamics of your bike. So I think what's kept me safe is a little bit of luck to be honest I, I think you know you've been with me in a couple really hot situations where we were like holy man how did we how did we dodge that and it was never something that it was never something that we created it was always something you wrote into so it's it's very important to know how to set up your bike spend the time to set up your bike spend time riding it around and playing with the settings on your suspension or or, or your levers or something like that so that you know what's comfortable, what reacts well. I mean, so many people jump on their bike and they never take the time just to set up the angle of their levers. Well, the angle of your levers is actually really important because when you are going to grab something, you're doing it without thinking. 
And when you're going to grab that lever, if it's too high, you're just going to hit in the wrong part of your fingers. You're not going to get the same leverage. If it's too low, it's going to hit the tip of your fingers or you're going to miss altogether and you're not going to get the same leverage. So simple things like setting up your levers, setting up your tire pressures, setting up your suspension and just spending a little bit of time to getting your bike to where you're really comfortable riding it. Um, that's going to help you a lot. It's going to help. It, it helps you. Yes. On your day to day, it might be a little more comfortable, but it's when you get into these hot situations that that's where that those, those moments of you setting up your bike actually pays off. It'll make you a better rider too. You're not Absolutely. fighting your bike. Yeah. And I'll add one more before we uh, take off on, on part one, because I'm going to bring you back for part two. We haven't even gotten into the builds and, and the safety behind that. And like you said, kidding out and, and spending the money on the right things. Um, when the, the other thing that I'm going to add to that whole awesome, amazing tip is, talk to people who are going to give you good advice because my first time down the three a from Creston to Crawford Bay, you looked at me and said, you're going to ride your ride through this. You and Robbie have yeah. been riding yes. for a lot longer than I had. Yes. And we'll, I remember we'll, this. We'll hold your spot at the ferry. Yeah. And and I had my own incident on my own and yep. well, I've talked about it on other episodes. That yep. was the time I forgot my credit card and almost <laughs> killed <Right>. myself. <laughs> But I got to the other side and you're like, oh, you made the ferry. And, and then I told you what had happened, but that was beside the point. But yeah. it was it was the advice. It, it was proper advice. It was good advice. It was teaching me as a newcomer to that area how to tackle that road and be safe about it. So the people you surround yourself with, make sure they're recognizing your level and and encouraging you, but not pushing you to keep up. Yeah, there's a real thing with ego, right? When you get into groups and, and I don't ride in a groups a lot. So, you know, good, very yeah. good of you to point that out because it's not something that I would normally think of because I don't really ride a lot in groups. But uh, when I do, that's usually if I'm in the lead or if I'm road captaining a, a ride, that's the first thing I'll tell everybody. I like you ride to your skill level and to your set and do not try to keep up with the person ahead of you. That's not what you should be doing. And, you know, somebody who's ridden that road and, I mean, I don't know how many of your listeners have ridden that road or if they know that road, but that's 91, 92 kilometers of a curve every hundred feet. There's, there's no, there's no area on that road that is not curvy with either a cliff on one side or a bank on the other. Like it's, it's a very, it's a very challenging road and it's a very challenging road to ride, to ride well. And I've seen more accidents on that road. So yeah, when we coach people to do these rides, it's that it's okay to be at the back. It's 100% cool to be at the back if that's where you're comfortable. Because when you're riding, you're supposed to be there to, to enjoy yourself, to be happy, to undertake and everything else. And so if you're trying to keep up with somebody else, if you're trying to hurry yourself through areas and you're riding outside of your comfort level, something bad's going to happen. So, you know, we don't, yeah. and we don't want that. We want people to grow as riders and mature as riders from experience, from positive experiences, not, well, I ended up in the ditch, so therefore I won't do this again. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And with that, we're going to pause, bring you back for next week to talk about more really interesting builder side of Mike Yeah Commission. And we're going to hop into the mailbag here and see you next week, my friend. Okay. Thank you for having me. Look forward to the second one. On 
today's mailbag, uh, we didn't, this isn't really a question that came in. Uh, we got this question much earlier in the season, asking us to advise everybody about the changes to the rules on the road with emergency vehicles. And that has since changed again. So um, just in case you people have not realized as of September 1st, they changed it from all lanes flowing in the same direction, slowing down to 60 to you must now move over to the far lane to give workers extra space. And if you can't move over safely, you have to slow down to 60 or the posted speed limit, whichever is lower. So that has gone from all lanes slowing down on, for example, Stony Trail or the Henday multi-lane highways to move over to the farthest lane or slow down to 60. The failure to abide by those rules with emergency vehicles that also now include snow plows and uh, outside of tow trucks and, um, and the normal ambulance police fire is $243 and three demerits plus another speed fine. So it's, there's a fine for not following the rule and a fine for speeding. There's two separate fines for that and a whole bunch of demerits. So again, snow plows have been made a part of this. Drivers must not pass snow plows when the view along the side of the snow plow is obstructed. Passing would impede the operation of the snow plow and the act of passing cannot be done safely. Drivers who fail to comply with those actions can receive a $324 fine and three demerits. All that uh, lovely information is available on the alberta.ca website, or if you just search roadside worker safety on Google in Alberta, and um, yeah, that is our show for today. To make sure you don't miss on any of our upcoming podcasts or to listen to previous ones, make sure you click on subscribe or follow wherever you get yours. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover, a guest you think would be great on the show, or a question for the mailbag, let us know. You can connect with us on all the socials. Email us at info at ab-amss.org or reach out through the website at ab-amss.org. Always remember to ride smart, ride safe, and think bike. We'll see you out on the road. This series is proudly produced by the team at Road 55. Road 55 creates content that connects. For more information, check our website, www.road55.ca.